get all those guys in the back ready to come on in here. Tell them it's time. No. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I know, but sometimes the lady's voice is a little more, has a little more weight to it. I don't know. Jim, Jim just turned the other way. <laughs> They're doing something important, I'm sure. <sighs> So uh, I'll make another announcement during church, just because there will be a lot of people that didn't hear this, but I'd like to uh, make this announcement and then have a a time of prayer. Um, I got a call from Benji this morning, and uh, Andrew McNaughton, some of you guys know Andrew, uh, Eric and Katie's son, died um, in a motorcycle accident. So uh, that's all I know. I don't know anything else at this point, but Benji said that the McNaughtons want people to know because obviously it's going to be easier if people already know than someone comes up and says, hey, how's Andrew? And, you know, have to tell him. So. No, Caleb's the older one, I think. But I, I don't know. I don't know all where they all You have Caleb, Andrew, and Gavin. Uh, but I don't know what they're... It could be Andrew. It could be. Yeah. Anyway, Benji's right here. You could ask him. So I just I just told him that Andrew. So it is Andrew, yeah. So let me just uh, say a prayer uh, for the family, and then we'll go into Sunday school. Father, death is an enemy, no matter how you slice it, but, but when someone is young and in the prime of life, it's just it's pretty shocking, pretty hard to, to fathom. And I know people that have experienced this, Lord, it is, it is just racked their soul uh, and for years to come, you know, may, maybe never the same. Uh, we, we know that you work all things together for, for good to those who love you. Um, but that doesn't mean that there's not scars and pain and suffering and heartache. And I pray, Father, for all involved. Um, and they all have different ways in which they will uh, experience this grief. And I, I pray that you would minister to each person um, According to your gracious hand, that you would bring uh, people around the family to help them. I, I assume there'll be a pastor who will do a funeral or memorial service. We pray for him as well. And Lord, we just ask that you would glorify your name. Um, things like this, we would have no hope if it weren't for the resurrection uh, and the cross. Um, we just ask your mercy upon the McNaughton family. Uh, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know. So off of Jamestown Road? So. Hmm.
All right, we're in 1 Corinthians 2, and we just started last week. We did a lot of discussion about how the cross is the power of God demonstrated. Um, and it really, I think we took, had to take some time working that through. So if you haven't heard that, it might be worth going back and listening to that message because We tend to think of God's power in the resurrection, and Paul normally does speak of the resurrection, but in this case, uh, he really speaks of the cross as the power. And in particular, almost the unthinkable thing, you know, with us living in sin under his judgment, he could have just wiped us out and created a whole new people and started over. (laughs) Uh, And uh, instead, the cross was him willingly taking the, uh, the punishment we deserve upon himself, and just how humiliating and in weakness that was for Christ to do that in order to save us. And so there's a, there's a great power that is demonstrated in the cross. And so um, that's kind of where we are. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. And so uh, we we finished, we kind of start, you know, got into this mess, but didn't really go too far in it. Uh, the, the, The reading that the ESV uses is testimony of God. And when we say testimony, it means like the witness, you know, his his uh testimony, like a witness telling something true. It's where we get the word martyr, you know, and so that's in the Greek, this is the word martyrion right here, Um, and you can see M-M, this is an A, this is a U or a Y, Um, this is an S, and this looks like a P, but it's really, uh, it's an R, and then you got the T, and then the Ada, which is like an E, another R-I-O-N, so like so everything's the same except for these two letters. And so there's this alternate reading, which is the mystery of God. Okay, so And we kind of went through and looked at how most of the usages in Corinthians are really mystery. Um, there's, there is one use, um, uh, 1 Corinthians 1.6, that is testimony. Um, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed uh, to you. But most of them are mystery. And so I'm just trying to help you understand that how you understand, how you look at this uh, slightly affects the, um, the meaning of the text. Uh, again, uh, the reason why this is even a, an issue, and this maybe is a good thing, we were talking about the Bible and how there's different variants and like, there's no major doctrine that's built on these variants, but there's slight differences. And so this is probably one of those uh, uh, issues. So if you hear, if you hear the testimony of God, what does that mean to you? The witness of God, what, what are we talking about there? And I guess we actually have to understand what of means as well, which is always a little bit challenging because of has a lot of different meanings. But what do you think it means there? If he says, if the ESV is correct, 
We did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech. What then is the, what is he saying when he says the testimony of God? Okay, so it could be the testimony about God. That's one definite meaning of, of. Um, so, if it's the testimony about God, whose, whose testimony is it? Who's giving the testimony? So it's funny, we got, we got Paul and God, right? So, um, now, look at the context here. In the verse, it'll tell you who's proclaiming. Who's that? Paul. So Paul is proclaiming, but if, if so proclaiming is not a whole lot different than testifying, right? So if, you, if it meant, Paul, I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming you to you the, um, uh, the proclamation of God, right? So it's, it's like it's, he's almost doubling up there. Do you see how it's, so the, to me, it, I'm not sure that, that Paul is the one of the testimony of God. I'm not sure if I would take it as Paul, because it, it seemed like it would be doubling up. I came to you proclaiming the proclamation of God. You see that? Now, it, it could be God's proclamation, but then it's not about God, and you can understand of this way, it could be the testimony from God. Right? It could be. It could be. So God's testimony about himself. Which if, if, it, was, if it was God giving his testimony about himself, that, that'd be possible. It's a little bit awkward, but it's possible. Um, so, um, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.6, See how it says, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. So that would be kind of what we're talking about there, the testimony about God, but in particular about Christ. See, now, there you go, right. So, and I think that the, if it is the testimony about God, it is really this, this, the gospel reveals to you something about God. Right, I mean, and I think that would be legitimate. Yes, that's good because it's Paul's proclaiming this grand story of redemption culminated or climaxing in Christ. That'd be one way to understand this. Okay, um, now. Uh, if you then understand mystery of God, let's just assume testimony is not right, and let's, let's think of mystery. Now, you have to understand mystery throughout the New Testament is not um, uh, a detective sleuthing his way into the mystery. Okay, So mystery in the Bible is something that is hidden, Nobody can find it. You could do all the searching you want, and you couldn't find it. 
and then it's revealed. That's the way mystery is used in Scripture, okay? So, so again, this, I think you can see how these two, and this is why I'm doing this, is just kind of help you give yourself more confidence that the Scriptures that we have are true, and they're not contradictory. If you understand testimony correctly, you know, we think we've kind of, and then you understand mystery correctly, Paul is proclaiming what was hidden about God, but now has been revealed. Does that make sense? And, it's, and, and in doing that, he is actually revealing to us who God is in a deeper and fuller way. Right, right. So there is a, there's a way to think about mystery. The gospel really is a mystery. It's not, it's not a mystery in the sense that... Um, it's like beyond our comprehension, or if you're just smart enough, you can figure it out. But it is a mystery that, that we would never know about God if the cross didn't occur and if the apostles didn't preach it to us. Does that make sense? That's kind of, that's the beauty. You're, we, God is revealing himself in the gospel to us, which is precious. Okay? Yes. Yeah, no king would do that. You offend the king and he's going to kill you, <laughs> right? And to have him come to us in this way. So it really is a, a precious thing. And, and I would also say, um, I, I like this idea of God testifying about himself. Because that helps me to understand that Paul's proclaiming a message that really is not his own message. He's proclaiming what God has already proclaimed. Like God spoke to us by sending Christ. And then the apostles proclaiming what God has already spoken. It, in the preaching of the gospel, God is speaking to people. And I just like that mindset here that, that Paul really doesn't see it just as you know, him getting up and saying, this is really some cool things I figured out, and I'm telling you. No, he thinks God is speaking, and God is using him as a conduit to speak this beautiful message of God revealing himself. Think about the inner recesses. I'm going to use Clark again just because he's relatively quiet and, and doesn't tell you a lot of things about himself. The, could you find out what is going on inside of Clark unless he told you? You couldn't figure it out. That's similar to what God's going, like, God is, is love. He's pent up with this incredible uh, majesty of who he is. He's both holiness, and he's love, and he's all-powerful. He's all these things. And some of those things you can see in creation. But you can't see the gospel and the heart of God to save sinners, except God open himself up and show himself to you. Exactly, yes, you're absolutely, amen, amen. <laughs> That's where I was going for this. Uh, no, but really, this is, this is very important because Paul is going into the value of preachers. And I don't remember, um, I think, yes, it's really not until chapter 4, uh, no, in chapter 3, 
is where he really starts talking about the value of preachers. But I think if you don't have this foundation with what you just said, then you're not ever going to understand a preacher right. So um, now he's going to, you just gave the, no, 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 you just, you're perfect. You just gave the, the glorious side of what it means to be a preacher. Now, on the other hand, Paul's going to tell you, preachers ain't nothing. <laughs> so they're going to balance this out here in a minute. So uh, but it might take us a couple of weeks to get there. But I just wanted you to see that in this, really in, in one word, uh, trying to figure out mystery and testimony, if you sit there and can meditate on this, this is like a, this is like a surgeon you know, digging down deep and figuring out the beauties of the human body at its microscopic level. And then you can come back up and you can see it on the swooping level, right? And it's just, it's one of the joys that I have as a pastor to actually, you know, study these things and see these things. Um, it's very helpful, so. And you would, if you had, you don't have to know Greek, if you have your ESV and you looked at a couple other translations, uh, most of them say testimony, but there's at least one, I think Young's Literal, that I have that um, uses mystery. And that's kind of helpful. You know, it just makes you think about these things. Well, what's going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it's not just the fact of his death. It's the theology and the the inner heart of God being expressed in that. So, and this is, you know, Ken loves doctrine, and I love doctrine. But if you're not a big doctrine lover, this is the way that you can begin to see why doctrine can be beautiful. And that is that you're, you're re- when you're wrestling with the atonement, when you're wrestling with what's actually happening as the Father sends the Son, and the Son dies on the cross, it is, it is something about the inner heart of God for you that is being revealed. And that's precious. That's what I think is amazing. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. That's it. And to be fair, I didn't come to all this just looking at verse 1. I've studied, you know, this is what the third time I've taught through 1 Corinthians and preached through it once. And, but, like, it's, it's, it's there in the text, exactly what you're saying, that God is revealing the depths of who he is, which is why I think mystery or testimony, but, but you have to understand testimony correct, too. It's the testimony of God about himself Revealing himself, that really um, is what's going on in this, in this text. So, very good, Lee. Thank you. All right, so let's read verses 3 through 5. Do we have a mic? All right. Uh, let's have Mr. Larry Dunham read for us, 3 through 5. Okay, so 
In verse 3, Paul is referring to his specific life situation when he was planting the church at Corinth. Okay? So, um, and not that we're going to take the time to do this today, but, but you can go back to the book of Acts, and you can see where Paul was before he went to Corinth. And you can say, huh, I wonder why he came to Corinth in, what's the wording? Weakness, fear, and much trembling. Well, where was he right before he got to Corinth? He was in Athens. And what do you know about, that's one of his most famous places. What did he, you know, he preaches among all the elites to them. Like he preaches that to them. And, um, and Paul actually took great pains to speak to the Athenians on their level. It's funny because we use the Athenian approach as like, yeah, this is what we need to do. There's whole ministries on how to philosophically reach people and stuff. And, and Paul, I'm not saying those are bad ministries, but here in the, in the text, Paul says, I did this. I reasoned with them. I kind of got on, got on uh, footing, equal footing with them and, and argued with them. Um, but as soon as, if, I'm just summarizing this, as soon as he got to the point of the death and resurrection, like everybody's tracking with Paul. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you're sounding good, Paul. Man, this is good wisdom. Yeah, yeah. And he got to the, re- he got to the cross, and he got to the resurrection, and they went, you're crazy. You see, I mean, and so this is Paul now coming, and they actually ran him out of town. They start to sneer at him. Uh, mock him, and so Paul's probably processing this, and he goes down to Corinth, and he's like, oh man, nobody wants to hear the gospel of the cross. They're okay with hearing wisdom, you know, but not the gospel of the cross, and so he makes a decided point when he comes to Corinth. He says, I, I, what he's, how's he say it? He says, um, I decided uh, I, so that your faith um, may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. He makes a decided point. Uh, he may have been physically weakened. Uh, it might have been oratory weakness, uh, whatever. But he, he's coming to them feeling his inadequacies. It would be like, um, you know, you, first time you come into a church and you you start preaching, and then they just want to run you out. You think, was it me? <laughs> you know, what did I do? Uh, and and he's, he's thinking all those things. He's, he's human, right? Um, in fact, in Acts 18, he said, it, God shows up to Paul, and he says, do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So this statement of the, the election of God, that he's got people that he wants Paul to be used to save, God shows up. He knows he's at a low point. He knows he's feeling that he's not adequate for the job, and, and he comes to Corinth under that condition. Are you following me now? So then he says, my speech, verse 4, and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Um, 
What do you think Paul means by plausible words? Persuasive. Good. Pathos is, is persuasive. Um, it's not that Paul is going to quit using logical arguments. He's not, he's not just going to start speaking gibberish, you know, or just say the crucifixion. Believe the crucifixion and never say anything. He's going he's to explain him. He's going to explain why the crucifixion is necessary and doctrine and all those kind of things. But Paul is saying that the, the, his confidence of someone's heart believing in Christ is not founded in his ability to persuade people. Does that make sense? That's that's what he's getting at. So what is it that persuades someone to truly believe? God through the Spirit. Oh, good. Yes. Amen. So, so just for the people in the listening, um, Howard mentioned that Paul on the road to Damascus and how he had had reasoning and power and it was really God showing up and and speaking to him that really humbles him um and so I I think that that's true I mean I think we don't all get a supernatural visual picture of Christ showing up to us but I do believe every time someone is truly brought to faith that's what occurs that's that's what salvation is and I think this is, this is what Paul is talking about when he says the power of the Holy Spirit to produce faith in the hearers. That's what I think he's talking about, power. Now, it is possible, and, and we won't really flesh this out until we get to later chapters, it could be that Paul is talking about the power of miracles, Right? I didn't come to you with my persuasive speech, but I came to you in the power of miraculous works. That's possible. I don't think that's true because the whole point is to show that it is in human weaknesses rather than in his demonstration of power. But it could be, and we'll leave it at that until we get to the gifts of the Spirit, which come in like chapter 13 and 12 and 13 and stuff. Yes? Oh, get, get the microphone. There you go. I was thinking that since Paul was a, a Pharisee and had all that knowledge and studied under Gamaliel, as mm-hmm. Howard said, that he had a, above regular ability with words. He, he, he could argue well, mm-hmm. probably anything. And, and I know nowadays when people go to high school, even in college, and even before that, they take classes in debate, mm-hmm. and you give them something to talk on, and they have to debate it whether they believe it or not. 
Mm-hmm. I think Paul had that ability, and I think he didn't want his preaching to be such that when people were finished, they believed in him, but they didn't know why. Mm-hmm. He wanted to keep it clear and simple. Mm-hmm. So put it into like our modern context. We don't really have a lot of respect for sophistry. I mean, you know, like that's not our common thinking. We're not all... Uh, well, maybe you're coming back with podcasts. Everybody's got a podcast where they give their wisdom and stuff. But anyway, um, I think the thing that comes to my mind is a movie. So the best actors and the best actresses, if they are in their role and you're watching it, you actually forget about the actor or the actress. And they have this power, this innate ability to almost transform, like, transport you into the world in which they're doing. That's good acting, right? It's all a lie. <laughs> you know, they're just acting. It's not a real situation. Sometimes they're, they're trying to do something that's real. But, um, but, but that's kind of what these, these great speakers, they just, they just transported you into a different world, and you, were, you, just, you loved being in that world, and, the, and it was their ability which did it. And Paul's saying, Good speaker, bad speaker, doesn't matter. Eloquent, not eloquent. It is always the power of God that transforms the soul. You cannot produce faith by the the giftedness of your own ability. You just can't do it. And this is the humbling part of being a pastor. You think it's all you. If somebody does come to know Christ, it's you. Um, And I I probably said this before, the older I get. I only have the same stories. I just repeat over and over. But... um, you know, we're sharing, I'm on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, we're down in Daytona Beach, and we're sharing with people on the beach, and I'm an outgoing guy, I'm not afraid of people, you know, so I, they always would put me with the, the, the introvert that didn't want to talk to anybody about Christ, and so we go up to these, these couple uh, guys sitting on the beach, and we talk to them, and it was the worst sharing experience I've ever had. They basically, if you could tar and feather you and run you out. That's what they did to me as I was, you know, sharing the gospel with them. And I was really thinking to myself, this, this kid that's with me, I mean, I was only four years older than them, but anyway, uh, this younger guy, um, he's never going to want to share the gospel after that experience. But I guess it was the exact opposite. He says, um, I'll do the next one. And so, uh, wouldn't you believe it, the next person we go up to he goes through the whole gospel with them. They pray to receive Christ. Yeah, it's just, and I'm just like, okay, it's it's not me. <laughs> it's God. <laughs> so, uh, and you have to learn that lesson over and over again. So, um, and it's not so much. Uh, you know, verse five is very helpful. That your faith, your faith, your faith doesn't rest in what. Yeah. Oh, I can only believe if Mike's here. You know, I can only believe if I'm under the ministry of Ligon Duncan or, you know, you know Chuck Swindoll or, you know, uh, um, R.C. Sproul or, you know, whoever your hero is. You know, that is not the source of your faith. <clears throat> Another illustration that I have used in the past. Oratory skill is like putting A1 sauce on a good steak. 
A1 sauce does not make a good steak, does it? (laughs) The steak can stand on its own. But sometimes, and I know I'm a meat eater, so sorry if people are, don't, steaks are good to me, I love good steak, but sometimes we view the gospel not like it's a good steak, but rather like it's a cheap hot dog. And I'm serious. We've got to somehow clean it up, put some condiments on it, as many as you can get. What do we do with hot dogs? I mean, the number of condiments that goes on hot dogs is unending, right? The gospel doesn't need that. In fact, put it on or not, it's not that's not going to cause faith in anybody. God causes faith. That's exactly right. Yes. That's exactly, and and I think that's what he did to Paul when he shows up on the road to Damascus, is actually destroyed all of his wisdom. So, uh, and I think that's the case. So, Lori, just since you spoke, would you read verses 6 through 10 for us? Here comes the mic to you. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age, or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Okay, so this is Paul, you know, I, I say to myself I'd like to write a book on all the tensions in Scripture, but there are so many I don't know how I could do it. But anyway, he has been, he has been saying wisdom... Um, the world's wisdom is, is, like, not good. Well, he's spoken so much against the wisdom that he, he now has to tell you, but there is a good wisdom, right? I mean, he's got to, like, balance himself out. There's a good wisdom. Um, human wisdom to be avoided, but there is a type of wisdom that is really good. And what is it? Uh, this wisdom is a wisdom among who? The mature. The mature. Uh, there's no like textual problems here, but this word for mature is also the perfect one or the complete, the completed, uh, mature, complete, uh, completed. Um, let's see, the word is, um, the word is um, teleos, uh, telos, which is where we get like the end uh, coming to the end. Um, and I, this is really important for you to get because sometimes you, you could understand this as wisdom before, uh, is, this wisdom is only for those who have of themselves achieved a higher form of, of Christianity. Okay? 
And this is exactly the wrong thing. There was a, there was a heresy that's going to really come into full swing, I don't know, 30 years later, 40 years later, of the end of the first century. And, and, and it is all about Gnosticism, which is, they basically said, yeah, you Christians have a good, you know, understanding of things, but there's a higher wisdom that you can somehow achieve if you, if you kind of get elevated to this higher level. And I'm telling you, Paul is not teaching that. That is not what he's, when he says mature here, don't think, man, if I could just get mature enough, if I could just get smart enough, then I could figure this other wisdom out. That's not what he's talking about. So it's best to, to understand mature, not as those who have achieved a rare form of godliness, but rather of all who are in the church. The mature is everyone who bears the name of Christ. Those who are being saved, who have come to realize that the wisdom of this world is futile, that is, that is the mature. You are part of the mature. Even if you're a brand new Christian, you are part of the mature. Um, well, <laughs> okay, you see here the question he asked, visible church, invisible church. And this is... You're going to get this. Danny and I have had many conversations about this. Americans, I don't know, I can't, can't talk about the rest of the world, but my experience of Americans is that we have talked so much about the distinction between the visible and the invisible church that we basically have taken all of the things that Paul is saying and applied them to the invisible church. When, who is Paul speaking to here? The church at Corinth. Now, the, what is true is really only true of those who are of the invisible church. But Paul doesn't make that distinction. There are times when he will, he'll say, hey, are you really of the real church? Like, he'll make that distinction. But in this time, he's talking to you, and like, there may be some of you guys that aren't really converted and born again. Maybe, you know, you might think the same of me. Maybe Mike's not converted. But, but that's not the question. He's speaking to those who are in the visible church. Of course, if someone's not truly in the invisible church, it won't apply to them. Uh, but, but he's speaking to the visible church. And so I would argue that if you've been baptized in the name of Christ, you're a, you're a, you're a new member of the church, you've been received into the church, this is you. Now, if you walk away from Christ and leave the church, you can be excommunicated. We'll talk about that in the service this morning. Um, those kind of things can happen. But but this is you. You're not supposed to go, well, I know that's for those good Christians, and I'm just not, I don't match up with that. It is, you're, you're in the church, this is for you to be, take as your own. Um, okay. How, okay, how is the wisdom of God a mystery? We've already said this, I'm just repeating it. So, but here that you can see, and Lee, you were kind of bringing us up to this, but notice he says, um, we speak of a wisdom in a mystery, right? The wisdom is a mystery, and then he explains it. Having been hidden, which God predestined before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of the ages knew. He's like saying, the smartest, the most powerful people in the world, they couldn't figure this out. Otherwise, what would they not have done? 
wouldn't have killed Jesus. If they would have known that killing Jesus would be the end of the powers of this world, would they have done it? They would not have killed him. They didn't understand. That's right. That's right. So you can see that, that this is... Um, this idea is not a mystery that you get to by being smart enough. It's not just by looking into it. The only way you get this mystery, if it's proclaimed to you, right, the testimony or the mystery of God is proclaimed, and the Spirit of God awakens your eyes to see the glory of the mystery of the cross, and that's how you get this mystery. And that is God's wisdom. Okay? Um, notice that he's called the Lord of glory. Um, Kyle DeVries spoke of this last week in his sermon. Um, In Psalm 24, this is what's being quoted or alluded to, is back in the Old Testament. In Psalm 24, it says, Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. That's Yahweh of hosts, he is the king of glory. So in the Old Testament, Psalm 24, it's speaking about the Father, God, that's who it is. But in this section, and in Paul's mindset, the Lord of glory is Christ being crucified on the cross. So what does that tell you about who Christ is? Yeah, he's part of the Trinity, that's right. He, he's fully God. So... When you have somebody like a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon's trying to explain to you, you know, this, especially Jehovah's Witnesses on the first uh, couple verses of John, if you start understanding the way that Lord is used throughout the New Testament and comparing it with the Old Testament, it's like this statements about Jesus being God is everywhere. It's on every page. It's not just one or two verses that we're trying to argue over. It's everywhere. Um, so... Turn to Isaiah 64 for a moment. Again, you know, Isaiah's prophet has lots of uh, prophecies concerning the Messiah. Um, but you can, you can see some of the terminology that Paul is drawing from when he says, no ear is heard, no eye is seen. He didn't just pluck those out of the, out of the sky. He actually is probably pulling those from his Old Testament. So Isaiah 64, 4, from of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. So this idea of, it's just speaking of God and just there's these inner depths of God that people haven't really figured out yet. But if you're waiting for him, if you're trusting in him in faith, you're going to see amazing things. Turn over to Isaiah 65, 17. Prophecy of the new heavens and new earth. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind. And I think these, these 
Old Testament, con- the, like the illusions that you're seeing in Corinthians, uh, this idea that you can't even imagine what God has prepared for you in the new heavens and new earth. That's coming out of the Old, Old Testament. Um, and Paul would say that the judgment of the Father upon the Son is the thing that brings all this to pass. So... Yeah, they would, I don't think they would fully get it. They would understand, you mean, this is all the, you know, the suffering servant passages. You know, there's some mystery like, how is the servant going to suffer? Like, they're thinking of that. But if they would have fully gotten it, the, the, the disciples would have been on board with Jesus going to the cross. And obviously, they, they weren't. They don't really get it until after uh, the resurrection. So, You're right. Yep, they did think it. Yep. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what they would have done with yeah. Well, see, this is the whole thing that happens as well. Um, you, the cross makes clearer than anything else, and the resurrection, that this world is not where the promises of blessing truly come to pass. It's, it's in the world of the resurrection. And the, the Jews had a feeling, had an understanding that there was something after death. I mean, Abraham tells, you know, it's clear he was looking for the city whose foundations was in heaven above. And, you know, they, they had that feeling. But, but the idea that, that a physical, bodily, resurrection that would take place and your resurrection would occur such that your new body would never again be corruptible that's there's things about that that are just that's just they didn't have full understanding of go ahead nathan oh wait you got who's got the mic right there thank you kyle i just remember my dad talking about this concept and this verse and the former things will not be remembered because he was asked you know how will there be no tears and sadness in heaven if you think about your son or daughter who has passed away and wasn't saved? Yep. And this is the answer to the question. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Right. And I would argue that um, somehow that weaves together. I haven't figured it out in my mind yet. Somehow that weaves together with the things that happen in this life are rewarded in the next life. So it's not like you get a blank, clean slate, and you will remember, you know, you got a believing spouse, you will remember them, that'll continue on. But I, I, don't, I don't know how those two fit together. But you're absolutely right. There are things in this life, the pains and the sufferings, that need to just be wiped clean. And only the resurrection can do that. So, yes. Um, okay, um, Now, uh, why is it that only through the Spirit that this mystery can be revealed? So, so you would think, now that Christ has come, now that I've just taught it's, an, it's the resurrection, it should be easy. You know, everybody should be able to figure this out now. You know, uh, why can't it just be human? You know, God's, he's revealed himself, now we just proclaim it. it there's a sense that even... 
Even though the facts of the case could be disseminated by an unbeliever, like God could take an unbelieving person and and walk through the facts of the cross to, to somebody. But even if that were the case, no person would understand, number one, they wouldn't believe, but number two, they would not see the beauty of God in it. And think about how many people in the world actually understand what substitutionary atonement is, and they hate it. There's a lot of people that do that. So you can't, you can't see it. There's something in your heart that prevents you from being able to see the glory of the cross and the resurrection. And only the Spirit can do that in your heart. Only the Spirit can open that up in, in, your, in your heart. Now, I would argue that this is a great verse to talk about the divinity of the Holy Spirit. Right? Lee's shaking her head. She's getting it. So, like, you got the Father, you got the Son, and now you got the Spirit the Trinity, why is it that this verse tells you that the Spirit is fully God? You can... What's that? That's right. If the Spirit was just some detached power of God, he would not know God. Right? So the Spirit knows God. He knows the inner being of God. That's right. The Spirit searches the depths of God. That's just a way of telling you He knows everything there is to know about God. Because He is God. He's one with those thoughts. And so, who dwells in your heart? The Holy Spirit. So is, you can learn everything you want about the gospel, great, but that's not enough. Just to learn facts and truths about the gospel. God says, I need to put my spirit in you so that you can understand me and who I am. Yes. Yeah. And this is the beauty, you're absolutely right, and this is the, this is the beauty of the Trinity. We, we're not, like, most women would love it if there was actually a spirit inside of their husbands that would then come and indwell them so that they could know everything about their husbands, right? Because we don't all, we're not often that articulate about our in, inner feelings and stuff. But, but this is what God has done. He didn't just save you to, to make you his people in heaven. You are his bride. He is revealing himself to you in salvation. That's redemption. The deep things of God. Now, most Christians are going, that ain't my experience of God. I'm struggling. I feel like God's up there and I'm down here. And that is true. Paul would not deny that at all. That your experience is not always, not even close to the reality. This is why Paul says that this, we, we have no idea what is waiting for us. Can you imagine an eternal existence where access to the very depths of God 
is, is just there all the time. Unbelievable. That's the beauty of this. And Paul says we, we, we apprehend this by faith now. In 2 Corinthians, he says we have this treasure in jars of clay because our brains can't understand it or our bodies or get tired. You know, all this kind of stuff's happening, right? We're like, yeah, whatever, you know, move on. But like God, he's saying, you don't understand. There's a reality here that has occurred in the gospel. God has like smashed divinity and humanity into one like this without morphing humanity into divinity or divinity into humanity, right? Like it's, it's, they're still distinct, but, but they've become one. That's what's going on in the gospel. And only the Spirit does this. Verse 11, For who knows this person's thoughts except the Spirit of the person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The only way you can know God is if the Spirit of God in you reveals himself to you. But Paul, again, is not saying, Oh, only the elite people get this. Only the best of the best get this. This is what God has given to every one of his children in Christ. This is the beauty of the gospel. There you go. Yeah. Yep. Now, I probably shouldn't even bring this up, but I, I will. This is uh, just, just, this is fun. I, everything else is like this beauty. Uh, this is not, this not, this is fun too, but there is an ongoing debate in, in, um, among theologians, even great theologians, of whether man is body and soul spirit or whether man is body soul spirit okay there's an ongoing you might not even care about that and that's fine Ken Twing and I always have little jabs about this because he believes in body soul spirit and I believe in body soul spirit so um, and that's fine it's not a it's not a major, we're not, no one's a heretic in this. I think it's Thessalonians. Look, turn over to Thessalonians. You've heard this blessing, I think. Um, uh, it might be. Yeah, there you go. So, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 and I've, I've done this at the end of services. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And, and this is, you know, open, shut case for Ken. Look, there's three. May your whole spirit, soul, and body, right? Um. It doesn't deter me. I, I think that Paul is just using language to say the whole man. And so, um, and in this situation, this verse, and Ken and I haven't had a big debate on this yet, but I told him about this verse. Um, 
friendly debate, friendly discussion. In God, Paul is using an analogy. He's not saying God and man are exactly the same, but they are analogy. There's an analogy. That's not spelled right. Um, so you got God and you got man, and there's, there's like, like a connection between them, right? There's, there's something going on. Oh, it's a why. Thank you. I heard someone say why. I just didn't get it. Okay. Let's just assume for a moment that God, in him, there's a difference between spirit and soul. Say they're not the exact same thing. Say they're different. What is this verse telling you? It's assuming that the spirit is able to impart to you the very depths of who God is. When you say the depths of who God is, is that not your very being, your nature, your soul? Right? But if they're separate, how could the spirit actually do this? So I just think that the, the Bible can use soul and spirit depending on its, its use. They can use them interchangeably. Um, and so I think that God himself, uh, if you have the spirit of God, you know the soul of God. <laughs> And the same thing with man. If you know the soul of man, you know, if you had something that could reveal the soul of man, you're actually uh, knowing the spirit of man as well. They're one and the same. There's just body. There's, there's material part of you, and there's immaterial part of you. That's just the way I would describe it. So, yeah. Maybe, but I think it has more to do with um, that there are spirits spiritual gifts and that like the mind of the spirit you can you can actually the spirit of god can communicate directly with your spirit and not with your soul minds i think it has more to do with that but anyway it doesn't it's yeah um but if you just know in general i'm always uh i'm a dichotomist i believe that we're, we're just immaterial material that's it two parts so Oh, yeah, that th- it's absolutely. I mean, it's just, yes, yes, it's, yeah, mm-hmm, that's all. So I, I and I, and I, yeah, mm-hmm. I have another reference in Mark 12, 30, where it says, um, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Mm-hmm, right, because in, in those Old Testament passages, most Jews have a dichotomist view, which is what convinces me, and they'll use language, heart, mind, soul, and strength, just to just talk about the whole person. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I always, Howard and I have had this discussion. Where does the spirit and, and like, the, the, the soul, like, how, how do you counsel somebody? It's like, where do you, where's one end and where's the other? I mean, it, I can't, huh? Yeah, it's very hard, yeah. Yeah. The point I want you to end on, and this is this is and this is we'll stop here in verse twelve. The point I want you to end on is that the gospel is for you to know the depths of God. That's it. And I know that we as Christians struggle with that. Like we can't like you're I think the, the, the curse has affected us materially and immaterially. And I just think that we are like, it's like there's, a, there's something within our, our uh, old nature that just makes it really, really hard to comprehend that. And when we see Christ face to face and the old nature just falls off, we're going to be like, 
It's like floating upward into God's presence. And and we're going to be like, I never dreamed it was this good. That's, That's what I want you to understand. And Paul said, you know, the glory of a preacher is we get to tell you about this, but there's nothing really special about us. That's kind of his balance, right? It, it's um, so. Okay. Thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us. Thank you for the foolishness of the cross. And thank you for your saints. Because I know that for all who know you, there is a wonderful stirring in their heart that rises up and just says, Lord, thank you. You are awesome. What we apprehend by faith now, we will truly know when we see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen.